What's good, everyone? This is George introducing the episode. This week's song is Spectre to celebrate the fourth anniversary of Firepower, still the band's newest album at this time. Our guest this week is Rob, a super cool person we met by doing this show. Rob is a vocalist putting together a Judas Priest tribute band called Hell Bent for Metal, and he has roots in the 80s rock and metal scene. He's tremendously knowledgeable about the vocal techniques that singers use and the audio technology that helps create the best possible vocal sound. If that's the kind of thing that interests you, then you are going to learn a lot in this episode. Rob also has some great stories involving band implosions, seeing Priest live, trading techniques with Jeff Tate of Queensryche. Later on, we do a full song breakdown of Spectre, and Rob tells us why it's his favorite song on Firepower. This discussion was a lot of fun, so let's hit it. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Drink. Cheers, George. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, mate. I've got myself a real good brew here. All right, what it are you is, drinking? It is from the Black Hog Brewing Co. in Connecticut. This is nice. a granola brown ale. I love that you were repping the Connecticut brewery so hard on this show. Hey, there's good beer everywhere. Yeah. But this is the beer that's near me. So uh, why not, right? If it's good. And I, I said this before we started recording, but me and my fiance, we made a homemade lemonade and I just put a ton of gin in it. So what kind of gin? Um, I don't remember the alcoholic kind. The alcoholic kind. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Rob, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Black Label Jack Daniels. Ah, that's awesome. I'm saving my uh, Russian vodka for when it goes really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. So it's really funny that you bring up vodka. I saw this video on YouTube about Russia's alcohol problem, and they were talking about how in the 70s, the Soviets made these vodka bottles that you could not put the cap back on because the manufacturer just assumed that, yeah, they was just going to polish off the vodka in one sitting. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, that is absolutely morbid. It's a genius marketing tactic. Now yeah. they don't have a choice if they can't put the lid back on the bottle. Hey, don't let that go to waste, dude. That's a huge party foul. <laughs> Russians don't drink vodka. Vodka drinks them. <laughs> true actually and uh, and it's really what the even more messed up part is that now i'm like really pining for vodka that's just how my messed up brain works i guess we always want something we can't have you know yeah true enough what is up metal maniacs you've got tom you've got george and you've got rob and you've got another podcast coming yes you do so Metal Maniacs, it's Friday night. We've all got our drinks. We're all settling in for a nice conversation. As you may or may not know, me and George are huge fans of Firepower. And I believe our guest Rob shares that sentiment. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I was born when I was very young, but it's hearsay. Because I don't remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall, but other people have told me. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't believe you. <laughs> okay, well, I can't prove it. 
Um, <laughs> I give up. You win. Um, <laughs> I don't know. For the purposes of this, for this podcast and for the metal maniacs out there, I'm an OG uh, classic rock vocalist, uh, metal vocalist from uh, back in the day in Seattle when I had hair, a lot of hair. I can absolutely empathize with your struggle. Oh, you know, get it over with. <sighs> don't I know it? Shaved it off specifically for the the Judas uh, tribute band that I was in, and just kept going with it. So it just kind of stuck around through inertia. Exactly. You know, it sticks to you. Yeah. Hey, man. Listen, if dare I say, it's a good look. Sure is. It's beautiful. Kicks dig it. <laughs> do. About me. For the purposes of the uh, metal podcast, we'll stick with all things metal. When I first saw Judas uh, in the Seattle area back in the early 80s, and I was a vocalist at the time, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I mean, you've heard the records. We know, okay, there's a lot of studio production going on there. I couldn't wrap my mind around how he develops such intensity, especially in his trademark high notes, right? I mean, people can hit high notes, but they don't hit them with the level of authority. I like that. Yeah, he's got a lot of authority Mm. his high notes. And I was like, what the fuck is he doing? And I never (laughs) really figured it out all the way. Promise. My job now is to reverse engineer what he's doing to some extent. So a lot of us, um, when the the grunge metal movement, when the grunge movement came in, a lot of us um, metal guys got psyched out. Uh, And that's just like where'd metal go? And uh, it has a lot to do with uh, corporatization and then the backlash of corporatization and uh, the consolidation of uh, a lot of the distribution channels. We had we were under the illusion that metal was dead, which of course it wasn't. Um, it just went underground a little bit. Correct. Um, so a lot of us got psyched out and we quit doing what we're doing, uh, or at least dial the way back. I quit uh, singing. I sang from the time I was 18 to the time I was about 35. Back in the day, I was a little young, I was a little dense, and I didn't, I, I could sing great, but I didn't understand that that's just the first stage uh, of being a professional singer, vocalist, and that you have to have a lot more beyond that. Uh, I've got, of course, gotten a little older, and I know that, hey, you know what? Goal setting is really key, and being able to understand the big picture. And so my cousin, who, uh, happens to have heard the dry signal of the monitors of Halford because he's toured with him. Talked to me about Halford and said, Hey Rob, uh, what you quit singing for? And it occurred. It's like I broke out of a trance. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What was I thinking? What's wrong with me? So I challenged all my presuppositions, my assumptions about vocals and about singing and about music. And I erased just a pile of, erroneous assumptions about what it is to be a, a musician and a singer nowadays and, and those kinds of things. And so step by step, I went, okay, step one, what do I want to do? Step two, how do I get there? And here, and uh, we've been, I've been piecing it all together. So about a year ago, I thought, well, I really like things like progressive Peter Gabriel, Kate Bush kind of stuff. I write stuff like that, but it's not as fun to sing. Mm. I sing Halford as a sport. It's very difficult. And I wasn't getting anywhere because if you do your originals, you've got to put everything back together. It's going to take a lot of time. You've got to write. It's like, ah, no traction. 
no traction. I thought, well, fuck, I don't want to do, I don't want to do covers. That's just sad. And then I saw an ad in Craigslist that said uh, a band was looking for is a, a tribute band for Judas Priest. I thought, fuck it, let's just do that. You know. And then I went, wait, can I really do that? <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. So, uh, so I started reverse engineering what it would take to do that. And so I spent about six months trying to get that off the ground with a group of people. We, of course, just like Spinal Tap, we went through about six drummers in a row. <laughs> yeah, drum, drummers are hard to hold on to, man. I know from experience. They are. And so, and that I started listening to Judas and specifically Halford, which of course is independent work and with fight all the way through from the beginning to the end and, and try to get a big overview of what he's actually doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fascinating. And then after I've spent about five or six months doing that, there was just a, there was a point with the people that I was working with. Well, some of the people that I was working with didn't get grasp of a key concept that is vital to vocalists and that you have to be able to hear yourself. <laughs> you know? Yes. So, it seems obvious, but it, not it, everyone knows that. Uh, yeah. Uh, per- just for the, for the audience, uh, just to make it simple, there's an effect where you put your headphones on. And you're talking to your friend. You, you, you think you're really not really loud. You really are loud because you don't have any any sort of reciprocating feedback to give you any way of dialing in. Mm. Singers can't sing very well without hearing themselves. And if you are trying to emulate a style or a tone that is not yours at all, you have no chance of doing so with no feedback effect at all. And so... Mm. And so I've expressed that several times to some of the people in the, the group, musicians as lovely as they are. Mm. And for some reason, they were obstinately, absurdly resistant to this idea. And uh, it got to the point where I just had to make a decision and had to walk away from a really good situation. Sounds like there was a lot of introspection and personal growth going on for you during this time. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, we had to figure out, I figure had to figure out what am I really doing? What do I really want? How am I going to get there? Do I really want what I want? How's this going to work? What do I do if it doesn't work? So it, exactly. That's a really interesting observation. And so you have all that. Everybody has doubts. All, all artists, all musicians has doubts. You know, the first thing I, I thought or, or I said to the band, okay, we're a bunch of old fat fucks. At least we could not be fat. We'll start there. And <laughs> And so we started working on self-image. I'm working on that one too. And so, and so as we, as we started working on this stuff, I started dialing in what version of Halford do I do? Because there's young Halford, middle Halford, now Halford. And Halford's voice has evolved and changed. Mm-hmm. And he's, and as, and as his vocal structures, his physical structure has changed, he's actually adapted or adopted different methods to create the same effects. When he was a lot younger, his physical voice, his vocal cords were a lot thinner and a lot lighter. Mm. And he could he could have this clean, soaring, sonorous sound to it. But of course, putting mileage on those things, mm-hmm. he's gone through periods where he's where he's he's got some rough spots where he's lost his high range and things like that. And so you listen carefully and you listen to him modify 
how he hits those high notes. And like you can really hear it in Painkiller. He's got this, how do I describe it? Um, who's, the, who's the bad guy in He-Man? Uh, Skeletor. He's got, <laughs> he's got this, <laughs> he brings it way up here. And that's another way of creating the same type of, type of high, high tone effect. And Kelly, well, my cousin who's toured with him, he said, he also gave me a clue. He said that he doesn't really scream, he shrieks. That is a good observation, yes. Which is a, which is a different tonality. It's, got, it's, it's a lot more cutting than mm. anybody mm. else is doing it. You ready? So, so I thought, how the fuck is he doing that? So it's been a really beautiful uh, and interesting artistic journey mm. that way. And that's where I, and so the, the, I, I, uh, I fired the whole band. Oh, my God. <laughs> Meaning I left. It's just a nice way of saying it. Yeah. And, uh, but, I'm, but I thought, okay, now what? Am I going to snow? I've put, uh, I've put so much time into, into dialing in Halford that I'm just going to continue on as a Halford act. Well, here's the other thing. Tribute bands is they can be cheesy. Mm, that's right? right. Right. So, and so I put a lot of stress, I stressed out about that. Okay, do, do I do it like half-assed? Or, wait, and I thought, wait a minute. Cheesy is just a negative term for campy. Mm-hmm. And there's a market for camp. I love camp myself. Camp. There's a, there's a market for for the for the bizarreness and the the non seriousness of the whole thing, you don't have to be so damn heavy about things. You could have there's, fun. There's a little bit of camp in Judas Priest to begin with. Absolutely. I mean, look at a song like The Sentinel, and they're singing about these warriors engaging yeah. in battles. And you know yeah. what? You can't take yeah. it too seriously. Yeah, right? man. Like like Turbo Lovers got camp out the ass. Good lord, love that shit. It's 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 high camp. It's it's uh it's a high art form to be, to be, to have that vaudevillian silliness, you know. And that yeah. goes back to that goes back to um, firepower, and specifically the the um, the, uh, the song that we're we're talking about, um, mm. the Spectre. Yes. Um, what's fascinating to me about the Spectre and why I like that song is that it's got about a vaudevillian or archvillain kind of a feeling in it. He's going back to a, a formula that really works well with, for him. And that is um, these these nemesis characters, which is uh, yes. uh, Jack the Ripper. Uh, there's there's uh, there's tons of them. Like there's, there's probably a dozen nemesis. Sure, the Sentinel, Nightcrawler. You could list them on and on. And, on. and that's a be- that's a beautiful thing. And what I really appreciate about Halford is that he doesn't get pulled into the cliches of demons and dungeons and dragons and mm. Satan, you know? Yeah, I read Tom in the name. right there. <laughs> Straight up. Satan, I, Satan, Satan, Satan. I read in an interview with him, he said that, yeah, they, they never felt the need to go into the um, sort of darker side of occultism because other bands were doing that they wanted to be different they wanted to do like kind of tap into their own world sure you don't have to retread ground that black sabbath has already done better right 
they've Fair done enough, it, dude. They've done it quite well. Mm, yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, sure. So they they talk about he he tends to steer toward either science fiction or human like interspecies predators. Mm. And that's really refreshing for me as a as a as a singer because I just kind of like really demons really mm. come on. <laughs> done it i mean let's do something else and so i really appreciate how he covers that stuff if you would indulge me for just a second i'd like to read off the opening lines to the specter absolutely so and it really plays into the the to the nemesis theme that you were discussing so in a league of his own a villain with no morals above the law and reckless mutating day by day invisible and silence conspiring to get power this man will stop at nothing so you he's immediately painting a picture of a relentless foe that is something to be reckoned with yes and it's it's something that we can connect to um right now oh yes that's one thing i thought is like this is more relevant now than probably any other time i've listened to this song yes isn't that interesting yeah yeah it's a uh, uh, the firepower itself is a wonderful uh, and interesting departure, also in a in a artistic risk because I like Judas for its heaviness, and uh, other people like it for other reasons. I mean, I'm a I'm a hardcore metal guy, so when they drift into other areas of like radio metal, if you want to call it that, um, they're gonna they're gonna cast a net for a wider audience, and they're gonna pull people who are a little bit less heavy than me in. And that's beautiful. But what happened as well is after Screaming for a Vengeance, I forgot about Judas for a while. And it was kind of like, where'd they go? They left me. And then, of course, they returned eventually. And that was wonderful as well. I think all eras of Priest are wonderful in their own way. You know, even if if what they're doing is completely absurd. Yeah, absurd effect. Absurd works. (laughs) So, Rob... On that note, you should tell us, man. How did you get into Judas Priest? Oh, how many times have you seen them live? Tell us your priest story, my dude. Okay. Well, uh, I think it was about 82 approximately. I went to a priest concert. And the first thing that I remember, well, the most interesting thing I remember is there was a guy standing next to me, a young man, and he was nonstop screaming his head off, fucking Judas! <laughs> he wouldn't stop it. That's <laughs> two words. Fucking Judas. He was like losing his marbles, and it was. I was so astonished by this guy. And, and um, of course, we we heard it on the radio. I started with the radio stuff. I got a couple of the CDs. I got. I think I had a couple of albums. I just really, I just really enjoyed most of their music. Strange side note. I was working. I was working a lot of hours, and I was getting up really early. And I had set music to wake me up in the morning, and I was severely sleep deprived at one time. Mm. And Stained Class, the album version, came on. Nice. Yes. Can't complain. <laughs> and what's interesting is I had an earworm because of my unconscious was so open and raw from lack of sleep that Stained Class stuck in my head for years, looping. I'm not complaining. It was like my background song. And I absolutely adore that song. Mm-hmm. 
someone ever makes a movie about your life, that's going to have to be on the soundtrack, I think. It's going to have to be the title song. Stained Glass. Yeah, and that's another, again, that's another um, condemnation regarding the shadow of mankind as well. It's a, you know, the, he has this wonderful theme of, uh, of intrinsic human evil that he addresses, and I really like that part of it. Mm. Um, so then, okay, so my cousin says, get back in music. I say, okay, I struggle. I get nowhere, which is typical with almost all artists. And then I yeah. screw it. Let's, let's try a uh, priest tribute band. And so what do I do? Now it's my job to listen to Judas all day long. Awesome job. Terrible job. I feel so bad. <laughs> so, right. yes. so Rob, when you first got into the band way back when, what year was it? And what what were the big songs and albums at the time that you were into? Uh, I see. I see. Yes. Oh, way back when. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Different century. Um, I liked Screaming for Vengeance. I liked Stained Class. Um, I liked uh, quite a bit. Those are the two that I liked the, the most. Um, but it was part of a, of, a, of a set of things that I really enjoyed. I was a Zeppelin Huge! I, I, I've I've forged my vocal training around plant. Um, but Very cool. Yes, and then I and then I discovered Dio and thought to myself, "Good grief! How does he do that?" Mm. And I I try and try to sing Dio, and I just I can, but not really. Come on! Yeah, the man is is inimitable. It's yeah. very hard. Well, to get it right, anybody can do it, but it's like sure. it, it doesn't give you justice. Just like Halford's authoritative screams, mm. I love some... that. Like I've never heard anyone put it that way. He has so much authority in his screams or it shrieks. Yeah. Yes, right. Um, yeah, and it, but then again, it comes and goes. What I like, what I, I, I and I have another side to myself too, and that is that I really enjoy progressive. Uh, quite a bit, you know. I don't like the diddly diddly. I'm just so busy that I just want to impress everybody. But, yeah. but, but the but the the deep stuff, the Kate Bush, the, the early Kate Bush, the Peter Gabriel stuff, the, the mm. yes stuff. In fact, my first keyboard player, Randy Gaines, um, who later joined Queensrÿche, and uh, sweet, yeah, uh, he and I were working on a concept of combining metal and progressive way back when. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you were ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, I couldn't sell it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then they were working, uh, you know, Randy worked with my cousin. My cousin uh, uh, met this guy that flew into Seattle called Jeff Tate and um, formed a band called uh, Myth. And then uh, they found they couldn't sell that progressive sound. So he so Tate ran with a with a progressive concept and hooked up with some guys from Bellevue that were very commercial metal and they formed the Reich. Hmm. So it goes way back. Yeah. And I think over chat, you had mentioned that back in the day, you and Jeff Tate knew each other. So would you be, would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? How you met him and oh, I know, yeah. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were roommates for a while. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's an astonishingly talented metal singer. Astonishingly. So, uh, we were running in a lot of the same circles. I, uh, uh, oddly, um, we both had, let's say, uh, day jobs and uh, a strange. Well, the first, let me let me go back. Sure. I was Take working, your time, man. 
Yeah, there's just so much to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with a with a with a band in in the Seattle area, and uh, they were doing a lot of rainbow covers, and I was hitting the notes. And I was I was covering it pretty well, um, but but then uh, the guitar player pulled me aside and said, you know, it's it's we're, we want to we want to check out another singer who's real impressive. I said okay, and I and it's like, oh, you mean like I'm fired? Yeah, well, you know. So that's oh, that's cool. Very, that's fine. Uh, I would end <laughs> personally. And so I said, okay, so he's real because I knew that I could I could nail I could nail Rainbow pretty well. I mean, not Rainbow, but Deep Purple really well. Yeah, sure. And all that. So hey, this guy must be damn good. So I just no ego. I said, okay. So when's your next practice? And I go to the practice. Hey, Jeff. This is this is Jeff. This is me. And he's he's standing there at the microphone. And I'm I'm thinking, and he's singing. I'm standing right next to him. I'm thinking, this guy's really good. You know, and I, I said, oh, I get it. Okay, sure. He's a he's a notch above where I'm at, especially with those damn high notes. Jeff is Jeff's uh, highs are piercing, and uh, but he quit the same band, and uh, then uh, he got introduced to my family, uh, and then integrated himself into this uh, the uh, the music that I was the same people that I knew, and they formed Myth, and then they formed. Um, eventually Queensryche and so but they were practicing in the same spaces with the same people with the same in the same barn in Redmond I would stand there I would stand there and, and listen to the practice for hours and just watch what he was doing it was really interesting I would stand he, 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 it, there's another interesting thing that happened he was he was listening to what I was singing as well and each of course each vocalist has got their own skill set their own talents and, and his was um broken glass level high notes and um and he's got impeccable style and, and he's he's he can this is kind of going off the judas priest will we get back to it and but he was listening to me hitting plant and, and maybe he's a little bit of bad company and he came to me and he asked me like how the hell are you getting so much red chest resonance and things like that and it's like i don't know you know i just do what i do because he just wanted to get a tone that he, oh, okay. he, he had mastered the head voice, just soaring eyes, just stunning. Hmm. But he, he he wanted all of it. He wanted all of it. He wanted to be able to master all levels, all sides. Uh, absolutely obsessed with being perfect, uh, a perfect vocalist, and he and he and he succeeded in his own way. But about Halford, what I really like about Halford's voice, and Halford as a person, is he takes chances with his voice. He pushes it well beyond what most people do. What I what I mean? Well, for example, Jeff Tate, or let's say um, Dio, they have massaged their technique down so smoothly that they've got it in the pocket. But every scream is the same scream, mm. and it's just, it's gorgeous. But Halford will try all kinds of shit. He'll, he will vary his tone. He will vary his voice. He will vary his technique. He he will push his vocal instrument all over the place. And I think he's paid for it a little bit, and he, then he's come mm-hmm. back again. So I really respect Mr. Halford for putting that much into it in that way. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah dude. And just like the more I think about what you've said, and more it makes sense because you know his screams on screaming for vengeance don't sound like 
his screams on sin after sin, so on and so forth. This is a point that I bring up rather frequently as Priest has never been a band that was afraid to take chances or to push boundaries. Yeah, he, he redlined his voice constantly. He pulls a governor off of his voice, and I, and I have the deepest respect for the artistic intent of that. Yeah. Staying in a comfortable pocket. Yeah, you've got some great analogies, by the way, like redlining the voice. That's a that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I've got I've I'm a, I've got a soft spot for unique colloquialisms. Excellent. This is why we have so many different people on. We love yeah. the diversity of opinions. Now, Rob, you said you had fallen out of listening to Judas Priest for a while, and later you got back in. So when you went back and you heard those albums that you weren't too familiar with, what did you think? What was your impression? A new perspective. I opened my ears and listened to not what I wanted to hear, but what the intent of the art was. I stepped back a couple of degrees. I think that I use another analogy, I I think, uh, on chat, which was you order pizza. Because you like pizza, but you get Chinese food. Now, you like Chinese food a lot, and the Chinese food that you get is excellent Chinese food, but it's not pizza. It's not what you ordered. And so a lot of people can judge a band for varying off of or veering off course from what they became attached to, but it doesn't make it wrong. It just means that that the, the, the artist is taking chan- artistic chances and making artistic and, of course, marketing decisions. And, and God bless them, you know, that's fine. It doesn't mean you have to like everything. Yeah. Nothing that Judas Priest does is terrible. It's all excellent. Excellent. It's just, what do you like? It's just a personal opinion, you know? There's something in there for everyone. And we Absolutely. get, sure we, get we get, um, messages and comments from fans that from every era of priest they love 70s 80s 90s the aughts it doesn't matter like every era of priest has its diehard fans no one loves everything no. but everything is loved by someone <laughs> i like that george okay george um he's got them pearls of wisdom pearls of wisdom yeah, so it's it's really interesting. It's been a really it, 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 the thing is, is for me personally, this is just the beginning of the adventure. Um, this is just the beginning of of uh, expressing my own artistic creativity in relationship to Judas Priest because I've locked myself in, haven't I? You know, I've said, okay, that I'm going to do Halford at least for a couple of years. See what happens. I think there's an audience. People love Judas. Um, I don't think I don't know if I can find too many people interested in extremely eccentric, bizarre electronica that I do. And that's fine too. No, no big deal. I don't care. But again, I sing priest for sport, and that's 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 kind of hard to wrap your head around. But it's just so athletic to do. It's so challenging. It really pushes all of my boundaries. It makes me work so hard because I'm not. Hallford. I will never be Hallford. I don't have the bone structure. I don't have the. I don't have the physical structure here. You know, mm-hmm. it's not the same. And I don't. And I don't expect to ever sound perfectly like him because nobody ever will. And who dare? How dare they assume? You know, I don't have. Well, no one can match his his um, his charisma. It's mm-hmm. a done deal. 
But I think that people like live music, and I, and I know that people like to hear Judas Priest. So if I can represent Judas Priest faithfully with the same level of energy, I think that people will really enjoy that as a product. I absolutely agree with you. Now, there's another podcast that we're friends with, Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone, and he was talking about the Maiden tribute bands that he had seen live, and he was making the case that, listen, if you're waiting for the real Iron Maiden to tour, how long are you waiting? Yes. Three to five, every three to five years, maybe they'll be in your area. But this other cover band, they're playing in the town right next to yours, and it's only going to cost you 20 bucks. Oh. And they're probably going to play a song or two that maybe the real band doesn't play anymore. They need to raise their prices. Who <laughs> 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 made another cover band? Cover band, come on. The cover band. <laughs> <laughs> Have some pride. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. So, you know, what do you do? And so um, we're, we're, we're riding on the coat. We're standing on the uh, standing on the shoulders of giants hmm. uh, that will never be reproduced. There will never be another Halford. There'll never be another Judas Priest. Um, and of course, they can't be everywhere at once. And um, so if if this next challenge that I'm facing, which is I'm going to have to, of course, bring musicians to me and find musicians that are interested in doing this with me versus jumping into a band that pre-exists. That would be very interesting as well. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, I think you've it. already got the right attitude. You got the positivity down and it sounds like you really know your stuff about the vocals. So I've got high hopes for you, Rob, and I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of this. Yeah, man. Wishing all the best. Excellent. Tell us your thoughts, my man. My man, I will. Firepower, we've got the Specter. What else is interesting, and what really caught me with the Specter is not the vocals, which are excellent. By the way, there's a couple more things to say about it. Halford doesn't rely upon his screams through most of this album. He uses other techniques. He uses theatrics. He uses vaudevillian. In fact, you could say. Somebody mentioned that he uses techniques that uh, Alice Cooper might use. Mm. He's got this uh, theatrical vaudevillian swagger through all mm. his vocals. He doesn't just lean on his piercing high notes. That is really fun. Secondly, it's the hook of the guitar. Oh, especially on this song, man. This yeah. song has a hell of a hook. It's It's... Ardently contemptuous. It's scampy. It's rascally. Um, it's rebellious. It's petulant. It's it's like a kid going, "I don't wanna. You can't make me. <laughs> no, I don't. You can't make me. No, I won't." And it's got that na 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 na, and it's just so gorgeous. How that 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 riff the the, the riff is a the riff is a, a call and answer riff. 
which is real classic in, in guitar. And it's the combination of, of those traits of the, of the call, the scampy, rascally, mischievous call and answer with the, the structure of the, the bad guy lyrics and the fact that he's using other techniques to, for emphasis, is, it makes it a really special song. You know what else? His vocal harmonies on this album are the best that they've been in a long time. He really plays into that. And, oh yeah, he does all of his backing vocals, of course. So they sound just tremendous, especially on this album. When he doubles up his voice in the chorus, and especially how he lets the vocals echo out and... You, it just reverberates at the end of a line. It's like, ugh. yeah, man, especially like Traitor's Gate has some incredible vocal work on it. Yeah, what yeah. a monster of an album. Yeah, I, I like as as long as I live, I'll never get over what a joy this album was listening for the first time, you know, in 2018. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, and, and it seems like, you know, they're not going to stop anytime soon. You know, Richie has been quoted saying, oh, yeah, we've got a ton of material. We've got more albums coming. Like, the show ain't over yet, man. Like, and it, by the looks of things, it ain't over for a long time. Yeah. So we've got plenty of priests to look forward to. Yes. So that- you believe Firepower is already four years old? God damn, don't tell me that. Yeah, it's going to be kind of an old album now. I'm telling you, man, but it's just, it feels so fresh. Yes. Man, I adore this album, and every time I revisit it, it's like when I revisit Creator, and I'm just asking myself, why did I stop listening in the first place? Exactly. Yeah, right. it's, it's, they just never stop producing excellent art. Yeah. You listen to this album and you remember why you loved Judas Priest in the first place. Yeah, dude. And Rob, I've got one of your emails here, and this goes way back. And you said Spectre is arguably the best song on the album compositionally. And I think that's really cool because this is a nice song and it's pretty different than the other stuff on Firepower. It's got that groovy riff, like you said with the call and response and the song is not a fast song it's got its groove to it i would agree um i mean the whole the whole album is is excellent and uh, oh for sure and, and of course the opening the opening song firepower is also plenty to comment about that as well um i did i did uh i did a little research so as a vocalist what i do is i i listen i listen to the the studio album that i look that i look for live versions mm. Because you want to hear all the different ways that he's interpreting it, right? And you, you want to watch the way he does it too. You want to watch his sort of body language. Yeah, but it, or like where he, literally where he's taking breaths or not. But one does not simply sing Judas Priest. If you don't, <laughs> if that was a Lord of the Rings reference, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, it was. And uh, what was interesting to me though is that. For example, the Reich, when they had harmonies, the other members would sing. But I haven't found a version of this one where the harmonies were sang. So I think live, he's having, I don't know if he's having, how dare I even assume. But the harmonies aren't there. And so there's something missing. And I don't know what's happening in the social dynamic of a band where 
where they're not singing with him. That's interesting because Richie and Ian, they've got microphones up there on stage. And they so. do backing vocals occasionally. You know, I mean, the thing is, is you can replicate backing vocals with technology now. I'm almost positive, but not entirely sure that Tobias Forge from Ghost has effects on his voice that simulate backing vocals without actually having other people come in because it's really hard to mimic Rob's cadence. Um, and he is such a phenomenally skillful singer that even if they did, it'd be hard to replicate and keep up with him. I so, agree. so to me, it's almost not surprising that they don't do a ton of vocal harmonies live. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd want to want, you'd wonder why that dynamic isn't happening. Mm. But hey, I guess Halford is hard to keep up with, man. Yeah, oh, yeah, I would. I wouldn't want to do a mind reading on. I wouldn't want to assume anything that he's saying that he's thinking. It would mm. be just a travesty for me to assume anything. I mean, he's he's an, he's a master of his domain. You know. Sure. I mean, I think a little healthy conjecture is okay. Healthy conjecture. Yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, you don't get more backing vocals because. Richie and Ian don't feel too confident in their own voices. Yeah. I mean, listen. They, uh, they sync up for Living After Midnight. Mm, that's a song you can't really have without. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's an easy one. You just kind of scream. You kind of yell that one out. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, listen, the thing is, like, Richie is such a technically impressive guitar player. I feel like he's really got to focus on what he's doing because his playing is so spot on. Yes. It's also not easy. No, not at all, especially on the later albums. No, they get Richie's soloing is very technically impressive. Yes. And so we, we, we hit upon what you had mentioned earlier in chat, um, another, another part of this, and that is how does a, a vocalist take on something like this. Mm. And so what I do is I, I think, what's the goal? Do I want to sing it in karaoke? What level of performance do I want to, uh, to achieve? And who's my audience? And what's, what's the expectation? Do I need to be close enough? What is close enough? So that's, that's, just, a, that's just an end goal. So you set the goal, and it, that can change. And then what I do is I... Um, I listen to the album version. Then the first thing I'd listen to do, this is a little bit of singer stuff. I listen to vowel modifications. If anybody, people who are non-singers don't know that. Songs are not sang like they're written. We will substitute vowels. Like instead of an A, there'll be an E. Instead of an U, there'll be an A. Because in order to hit some of those notes, certain vowels tie you up and, and, and cause stress. Like you could say the word nothing, or you can say nothing with an A. Nothing. And that would keep you from going, oh. So the first thing that happens is you sweep through and listen for his vowel modifications. And then you listen to different versions of what, uh, like live versions, and you listen to mod any, any uh, alterations of, of expression mm. that he does. And then after you've got all that down, then you figure out whether you, I can actually do that or not. Like, can I really hit these notes? Especially mm. the high stuff, you know. Yeah, it sounds a lot better, like on Metal Gods, when he says, 
we've taken too much for granted instead of we've taken too much for granted. You know, one obviously sounds a lot better than the other. I agree. That is not a. I kidding. That's not a that's not a vowel modification. That's a, that's a that, but that is a that is a cadence observation. He's, ah, okay. He's very percussive. Mm-hmm. Versus Dio will just swing through his notes and glissando and glide. It's all one great, big, beautiful, operatic thing. Paul will just punch and punch and punch and punch at you. Mm. That creates a huge amount of vocal stress, by the way. Because you're, stop- you're stopping and starting and you're getting these little plosives. Not to deep, go too deep diving into, into vocal science. But um, it's not as easy at all. And it puts a lot more stress on it, on his voice than just sliding through all these beautiful passages. Hey, man, listen, if you want to go into the vocal science, we're all ears. This podcast is about exploration more than anything else. So by all means, what comes to mind comes to mind. This is what we want from you, Rob. This okay. is the perspective that you have that other people cannot offer. Well, you got it. I won't, I won't give all the secrets away. <laughs> appreciate that Especially if, the, the, the most important thing I think that people could, could, can know about, about rock music and metal speci- specifically is just like with rock and metal guitar it's very effects based um, there's an old saying let the microphone do the work uh, it creates an illusion um, that is really fascinating there's an exercise you can do uh, it's for those who can visualize. And that is, you can take like the beginning of the immigrant song. Ah! And you can imagine you're standing right next to Robert Plant in a vocal booth that's, that's completely damped and no echo, dead. And he's got his mouth right on top of the microphone and he's singing this. But then you listen to the vocal and it sounds like it's about two blocks away mm. it's thin it's pinched and it's it's got a lot of echo to it now what Halford does is, is no different than anything else in fact he he uses a ton of secret sauce and if he didn't it wouldn't work he uses a lot of compression he, he uses a lot of he, he overdrives I don't know whether he uses tubes or not, but he overdrives his two preamps. It sounds like it, it to get, because he's trying to get almost, I think he was expressed once that he likes to use his voice almost like an electric guitar. Mm. And so it gives it that bite. Yeah. It's a musical philosophy where you view the voice as just another instrument in the song. Yeah. And if you're doing metal, guess what? You're going to use a ton of tricks. Sure. There's this one band I'm particularly fond of called um, Ghost Bath. They have this album, Moon Lover, where none of the songs have lyrics, but they have a vocalist just kind of wailing over these tracks. And it's sort of like um, like that shoegaze element where all the instruments blend together and the voice becomes a part of that. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. You can do whatever you want. It's just, yeah, man. In the end, it's art. It took the words right out of my mouth. Here, you can have them back. <laughs> Thanks. Much obliged. Uh, yeah, so uh, so uh, 
there's there's two things to it. You have to listen. It also masks. It has a tendency to mask what he's actually doing, which is great. But for a for a vocalist such as myself that is trying to accurately to as best that I can uh, emulate or imitate what he's doing, it makes it very difficult to. It's a real mystery because you have to listen to all these different versions. My favorite thing to find is digging around on the internet or YouTube or whatever and finding a live recording of Judas and with or with Halford where he's got an off night and he blows it and you can hear him like blowing out his vocals. It doesn't happen very often. It's hard to find. Or he, like his like just like what happened with me, his monitors are bad. He can't hear himself. And then you can really hear what he's doing like with his passaggio where he flips between chest voice and head voice and whether it's too rough or they, whether he, he bl he's blowing out and he's flipping into like a BG's voice and things like where he, his cords open and he's too breathy and you can kind of hear his voice kind of fall apart. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. okay, he's human. Absolutely. Happens to the best of us. Uh, it, it, it's rare with, with Halford. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but that, that's the stuff you learn the most from because you, as, as, as his voice falls apart and, and starts to lose its position and balance it is, it is the pressure balance in, in the column, you can go, okay, now how is he, how is he correcting it? And it's, it's really interesting stuff. And there's a saying that, um, you know, maybe not a saying, but, you know, failure can teach you things that success can't. I guess I'm not sure if you would necessarily call it a failure, but you know, it's definitely something to learn from. It's a failure if you don't capitalize. Ah, I like that. Perfect. Well said. Yeah, if you just stay, if you just stick it, oh, it's failure and we're done. No, no, no. This is just like, okay, now what? Yeah. That's why, uh, another reason I hesitate to use the word failure, but that put it very succinctly. I think Bruce Lee said something about it. You know, you don't. There's no. There's no. There's no failure until you die, or something really profound. You know. Yeah, like I've heard the saying that um, from Thomas Edison. I detest Thomas Edison, but he said, um, I didn't, I like, I didn't fail at making a light bulb. I just figured out a thousand ways not to make one. Yeah. So something like, you know, a, a winner fails a thousand times before, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. There's like different variations yeah, on but, this, on the saying, but the theme is the same. You, you got to take risks and, mm -hmm. and you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there. And um, like, it goes back to what happened the last day that I was at the band, at band practice. They had, they had invited some promoters without asking the rest of the band. One of the bass player invited promoters to come and listen. Mm. And we were, we were thinking, uh, you might want to consult us with that, you know? Okay, we'll go for it. And then, all right. So what happens is, is that the band plays so loud that I can't hear myself at all, mm. at all. It's done. I'm, I'm, I'm singing into a jet engine and the promoters were standing all the way back at the back of the room just so they could stand it going back to the mm. problem. Yeah, I've been to concerts where the, it's so loud that I can't even stand in the amphitheater. Yeah. I had a solution. I had some, I had some in-ear monitors and, uh, and I, I thought that was going to help, but the, the band was so loud that the inner, inner monitors were clipping and I just had to turn them off. I just gave up. So what I did is I, I did a big bonsai. I just screamed my guts out and sang the best I could. And of course, my uh, one of the one of the guitar players that are a real cool guy. I still get along with. 
um, he recorded it and he played it. He, he sent me a recording and it sounded like a dying whale. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> and, you know, like, like you said, man, you need to hear yourself. It was so bad, but you know, I put all my heart and soul into it. Sure. But what was interesting is that um, the the promoters noticed that we 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 we, we sat aside later uh, and we sat sat on the bench and then we talked about. He says, "You know, quite." A, and we talked about sound. We talked about performers. We talked about stage performance. We talked about vocals. He says, "You seem to know a lot." And and you know, he said, "You should be running the sound." Oh. And I just looked at him and I said, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> Long story. <laughs> And hey, listen, like, you know, when it comes to instances like that, sometimes you got to make do, you got to work with what you're given. And so I was, I was horrific, mm. but, uh, but I, I still hit the high notes. Hell yeah, man. And, yeah. Then, and yeah. the, and the spirit and the soul was there. So, way off. but that's okay. I, I sucked it up. I said, you know what? I, I'm not going to my bad myself for that. You yeah. Know? It's interesting about that though, is, is that the other members of the band just thought, oh, I was terrible because they were not privy to the concept that you have to hear yourself it's not going to happen if you don't like and the people listening they obviously aren't they don't know what's going on on the stage or on like behind the scenes like they're they're not hearing what you're hearing no yeah you can't can't even hear yourself yeah i because i play i've played live and i there are times i can't hear the vocals i couldn't hear the synths i couldn't hear the bass like i sometimes i couldn't even hear the other guitar it was unbelievable like the disparity between what the crowd hears and what you hear yeah monitoring i mean in the end um monitoring is key also separation of I mean, we'll going to sound theory but all instruments need their own pocket so they're unique yeah I, for example i was trying to tell them Explain to the guitar players and the bass player that we need to do, we need to use high pass filters and low pass filters. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want me to turn my highs down? No. <laughs> we need to use it because we, each, each, each instrument needs to have its unique uh, spectral shape so it creates contrast. Huh? No, I just want to play loud. It's like, I was, don't we all? Yeah. But uh, so sound is a really big deal a big part and it's a science it really is it is so that, that's, that's dovetailing again back into the reason why i'm on my own now mm. <laughs> at least you get that control over it yeah if a vocal a vocalist let's let's back this up a little bit if, if a vocalist is singing in their own register and only singing their own stuff and they know the songs and they're singing in the same songs a million years and the and let's let's say that let's say that the content isn't it's white isn't wide spectrum. Let's say it's not a wash of sound. Let's say it's pop. They might be able to pull it off. But if you're singing into a jet engine of like a wall of piercing white noise, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's difficult. I had an incident first show I played ever where the monitors were popping. I don't know how else to describe it. I don't know what the phenomenon was, but they were just like, like, pop, 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 pop. and it was loud. And we just kept playing right through it until the technicians figured it out. But it can definitely be a huge detriment. Those are dying capacitors he used in old amplifier. Oh, okay. Okay. I was, I always wondered what that was about. So thank you for answering that age old question at this point. Dying capacitors, caps go bad. They, they go out of spec and 
what happens is people go, oh, I've just got, I just bought this 500, this 1,001 amp off of uh, Craigslist and I got a great deal for it. I said, how old is it? Has it been sitting in somebody's, you know. Does it have several layers of dust on top yeah. of it? It's cooked. You know, you don't want to do that. You can go, yeah. you, can go you can go old on a lot of stuff, but. Sure. You, know, you got to watch those capacitors. You know, my one of my uncles always told me if it's too good to be true, it's probably a scam. If you find a Marshall JCM 800 and it's like $350, it, you're probably getting gypped, my dude. Yeah, so I mean, you could ask a you could ask a really simple question. Oh yeah, I'm selling this amplifier. And I just need to get out from under it because I got to pay some bills. Okay, great. What, what what year was that? Oh, it was like 1982. Great. When, when was it recapped? Mm. Oh, okay. I couldn't even answer. So it that doesn't about, work. <laughs> it, yeah. I couldn't even answer that about my Mesa Mark V. So you know what I mean? It's, it's like it's going to throw people for a loop because that's what happens is that the caps absorb moisture and they get get out of spec and they start drinking. Okay. Oh, okay. Little this is a little nerdy stuff here. I like it. Thanks for sh- thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's it's I I adore the entire thing. It's all, it's all art. Yes, it is. And that's the the coolest part about music is like the there's the creative aspect of it. There is the technical aspect of it, and in a sense, they're one in the same. There's definitely an art to like being a music technician. And to being a sound guy, it's all there, man. Like there's like like there's something for everyone to indulge in. It's a subject that we could talk about forever. Yeah, man. Like like people have been pondering this for as long as music has existed. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, for example, I taught the bass player a cool trick because he was complaining about this microphone right here. Okay. It's because we were having tremendous feedback problems, and uh, how's the sound? I just cranked it up a little bit. Oh, it sounds much better. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So, um, we we were our practice space was a uh, concrete box that had even sides, and so it was it was incredibly feedback prone. Um, and because the bassist um, didn't have a, fa- a solid fundamental solid fundamental understanding of how sound works, he was saying there was something wrong with my mic. So I got a mic that had, um, I was using an SM58, which is the classic mic, right? Mm. So this is, a, this is a Beta 57, which is a instrument mic. And what's cool about it, it's flat on top. Okay. There's a reason for that. And the reason is, is because they used to take the SM58s, in order to get your face closer to the diaphragm, they would crush the top. Oh, interesting. It. Yeah. So you have a higher SPL um, level, a higher output for a given amount of amplification. Mm-hmm. So you could so you could get you could really get on top of the damn thing. Uh, so this one is an instrument mic, but it's already pre pre flattened, and so I traded it out for my SM58. The secondly, it's also designed to reject feedback a little bit more because it's a super cardioid. And so we're, I'm in a relatively, I mean, there's background noises and things like that in this place. Um, yeah, bound to But happen. you can't hear. I can't hear a damn thing damn besides thing. your voice. Exactly. So I've got, I've got large diaphragm condenser mics and stuff like that, but I live on near where the Seattle Chop um, instantiated, and I live in a city. If I'm not careful, it, it can pick up conversations across the 
block. So these are really useful for noisy environments. So I, I got the I got this mic and and it helped it helped quite a bit. After we put shipping blankets all over the walls, it made an even bigger difference. But yeah, there's there's so much to it. Like I don't know what I'm wandering off point, but it's it's so fascinating. I've learned so much about vocal techniques tonight. Yeah, and just sound engineering in general. So this is great, man. Like yeah, you can't separate the two. Mm-mm. Oh, and yeah, the basics. The basics are um, all vocalists. Most vocalists should use compression. Here's an example for people who aren't savvy with sound engineering. If you listen to, I'm trying to find a good example, Stain Class, of course, again on the live Insurrection album, and you listen to him talking. You can hear his lip smacks and his subtle vocalizations that, are, that should be very quiet. And then he sings and he blasts. And what you notice is, is it's nearly the same amplitude. Hmm. Everybody okay? You're ready for some screaming heavy metal? You want some Judas Priest? somebody little tiny gesticulations of your voice are the same volume as blasting see i just yelled and it didn't no. get louder mm. so well i know that drummers have like um a similar technology called triggers where like a trigger on your drum set and like no matter what kind of like force you hit the drum with it's right. just as loud maybe that yeah, so maybe it's like a similar concept. Very extremely similar. It's, it's it's putting within a within a narrow bandwidth because okay. you get a lot more you get a lot more uh, texture and clarity and and, and um, subtlety and all the different things you do. So you want to you want to have a compressor. You want to have um, low and high pass filters as well. So, for example, if you wanted to crank the the highs, or if you wanted to crank the lows. You don't really need a ton of bass in a voice because there's just nothing there. So get mm. rid of it. You don't need anything above way up, way up high in the air levels because nothing should be above like 4K except the symbols, you know, the the shiny, shiny, shiny stuff. You know. Yeah. So each the voice is in the middle, and in fact, I I, I talked to my cousin about it. He said Tate runs his voice so mid-range it sounds like he's talking he's singing in a telephone hmm. 
and there's a real good reason for it because it makes it makes it acoustically unique and it really cuts the sound it cuts through everything so you can really hear what he's doing and, and if and if you listen to most vocals all the way back to zeppelin unless there's a purpose for it there's no bass and there's no ultra high there's no air it's all it's all mid-range there's a there's a very specific purpose for that it's called high pass low pass filters so compression, high pass, low pass filters. Then you want to have, at least for rock, you want to have a little bit of an overdrive. You can probably hear it in my voice now. It sounds like I'm talking through some sort of jacked up tube amp. Mm. That's you know, it doesn't sound super clean. Yeah. You, you can tell by the by the by the by the sound of this. I don't know how it translates on mm. on Zoom, but you can tell that it's 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 altered. It's something well, can, that's being, yeah. being overdriven. I can tell you for a fact that if you ever decided to do like a horror podcast or a true crime podcast, it would be phenomenal for that. <laughs> <laughs> then she realized. <laughs> the sound, there you go. The sound behind her was not friendly. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude, I've already got goosebumps. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to say. And, um, yeah. And it's just a, it's a huge journey um, with anybody who's a musician or artist of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you can talk about the tools, you can talk about the techniques, you can talk about the philosophy, you can talk about the spirituality if you want. You can, you can, you can, there's, art is, I mean, what else is there, right? Yeah, man. Like the art comes first. Everything else is like just a puzzle piece. Yeah. It's like, you know, music is, sort of like more than the sum of its parts it all comes together to make something beautiful my favorite aspect of music is, yeah yeah well sometimes it's terrible i mean let's not let's not kid ourselves but like my biggest passion has always been for the instruments the guitars the and like the drums and the amps and the basses like just that stuff like guitars in general just fascinate me to no yeah. end you know if i didn't have hammers for hands I would probably be really good at it as well. <laughs> it's never too late, Rob. I, never. Oh, guitars are, 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 they mock me. <laughs> hey, yeah, you've fun. already found your path, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. His hands were built to destroy, not to build. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, and you go on and on and on. You know, it's, it's personal from a personal perspective. Once I rediscovered my purpose in life after drifting. Mm decades i sunk my teeth into this and i'm not letting go so i mean why you know so whatever happens is whatever happens i'll, I'll, I'll just try to create the best product available according to what i think it is you know and if people like it or they don't great but i think they probably will you know yeah man um and god bless judas priest and, and robert halford for creating such a genius mm. and um and I'm, and I'm, uh, I like to say that I'm quote, I'm Robert Halford in quotes. Yeah. I'm, I'm in quotes because it's not real, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just uh, honoring and enjoying what they've created. You know? It's beautiful though. You yeah. know, some people aren't brave enough to chase their dreams and their um, ambitions, you know? Yeah. And there's something beautiful to be said about just like going for it and understanding that that's the path you're on. Yeah, I mean, to get a little deep, I mean, um, I don't know what everybody else's metaphysics is, but best evidence suggests from my perspective that 
we become what we were before our parents met. Hmm. Eventually, we we cease to exist. We not only pass away, but people who knew us pass away, hmm. and so eventually we become we're erased. And so, within the tiny slice of time that we have, is our highest goal like responding to trolls on Twitter? You know, you want to feel like at the end of the day that you're working towards being the person you want to be and that you've spent your time wisely because your time is not infinite. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Mr. Lee, the famous one. He said, uh, to become the best product available according to my own terms. Ooh. Yeah. Different. That was heavy. I love this conversation. I don't, I do not want this to end, but we, I guess we do have to talk about Judas Priest a little Judas. bit. <laughs> you know, inevitably, from a metaphysical perspective, it's all about Judas. Oh, for sure. And like, oh. there's definitely some kind of spiritual element going Everything on. Everything else, yeah. It's an experience that is not contained with, within, within the, the cultural narrative, for example. Wait. Well, you know, like something that I bring up every now and again on the show is something that my fiance said, which was we were listening to um, Halford did a performance with Baby Metal. Oh, yeah. And, excellent. Yeah, yeah it, it was awesome. It sure was. Yeah. Oh, by and, the way, I'll get back to that. Oh, for sure. And she said, Priest, it might be the greatest metal band of all time because it has this ability to transcend borders and cultures and languages to and yes to something that everyone can get behind judas priest is for everyone it's not just for it's not just for the few specifically um you know that's interesting i'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people had an ab reaction to that to that and they they had a they negative they had a negative outcome uh, emotional outcome reaction to that because of their own frame of reference is is being is being violated uh, but and that's fine. That's how we live in our own um, reality tunnel, as Timothy Leary would coin it. But I enjoyed it because from a from a completely different perspective. When he sang that, it was dry, hmm. so I could hear exactly what he was doing, and he went into the Skeletor voice. to that baby metal critically because it's very dry it's not masked and i from listening to that i learned how to sing painkiller oh cool i learned how to do it because i could figure out that or wicked witch is another way of saying it he's got a witch thing and and once you understand how to do that and you can do it with a lot of with a lot of breath support because it's it's still not easy uh, then you can then you can hit that 
that painkiller timber that's really, really interesting. Mm. Yeah, like his scream right before Tipton's guitar solo is unlike anything I've ever heard. It is yeah. inhuman. Yeah, astonishing. Perfect yeah. word. Yeah, it's astonishing. It's so hard to replicate. I can't I'm, do it. I'm working on it. Uh, you'll get there. You'll get there. I know how he does it. It doesn't mean I can do it. Mm. Like I know how people. I know how people do card tricks. It doesn't mean I can pull it off. You know. Sure. Yeah. You understand right. like the technique behind yeah, I it. I get it. Yeah, I'm working on it. Um, that, that's interesting. I, I, now that I'm independent again, I'm, I'm trying to. I've got. I'm like a kid in the candy shop. I can't nail myself down enough to decide what demo songs I want to put together to draw other musicians in. Mm. And do, do I want to do Beyond the Realms of Death because it's gorgeous? Do I want to? You know? Do I want to do? Well, you know, it's like I can't pick. You know, so. That would be an interesting, interesting question. If 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 I would put it that out, like if you were, there's no right answer. But it's like yeah, there's there's so many cool things, you know. The Sentinel is so fun to sing. Also, my one of my favorite songs to sing is uh, "Devil's Child." Mm. It's so fucking screechy, you know. Um, Back in the day, man. When they had those Guitar Hero and Rock Band video games, Screaming for Vengeance, the entire album was in one of those games. Yeah. And I would usually be on the mic because none of my friends were brave enough. They were cowards. <laughs> and, and Devil's Child, let me tell you, I that was one of the hardest songs I ever had to sing because he just keeps going up and down, up yeah. and down. Well, that and again, the authoritative screeching. Uh, the I want you know it, it, I, there's a technical way of describing it, but it's piercing. Mm. It's not. It's beyond pretty. Because I, I'm contractually obligated to bring up sin after sin yeah. on this podcast, like uh, like on dissident aggressor, just towards the end, he's just going like Go standing and bawling. I'm punching, yeah, and crawling, to... yeah, like just ah! yes. And I... right in the beginning, coming in with that. Ah! Oh well, I got a, I got a, I got a comment about the beginning. Oh please. Now, I can cover dissident aggressor. We, that was one of our. That was one of the things we were doing. Cool. Um, but you'll notice that he's never hit that high note live, and there's a reason for that because it's a pitch transposer. What's that? It's electronic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that is so high that it's like what I don't know what note it is. It's like E seven or something like that. It's up there. I'm sure. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't. 
he doesn't do that live mm. for a reason. Why don't we take a listen to Spectre and we'll get in our commentary. Absolutely. I'm Let's down. do it. I'm going to open up the lyrics again. That's the line that you were talking about before, my man. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's some serious power behind those lyrics. I mean, there usually is with Judas Priest, but like right then and there, you just got this beautiful portrait of like a megalomaniacal, like probably like a dictator, like a maniac. And they've got power and they've got a will to execute it. Where have we seen that before? Anyway, <laughs> contemporary, but it's always been true. I mean, go you can go back to Nero. You know, he, oh sure, man. The, the nature of government has never changed. It's just uh, they try to hide it long enough to get away with mm. people allowing them to exist. Yeah. But um, you know, it's the, the participation in government is not voluntary. Mm. No, it certainly isn't. And if yeah, it's um. We're just born into the system that already exists around us. Yeah, I mean, it started with this. It started with the early city states in, in Mesopotamia, in, the, in between the Tigris Euphrates River. You know, before that, we were all just hunter gatherers. You know, mm. and, and it's the nature of power. But yeah, it's it's such a it's such a deep. It's all about Judas. No matter where we go in this conversation, by the way, it's all about Judas. Yeah, oh, yeah, it ties back somehow. Yeah, it, every time. So Judas is the is the turning is the is the center of the wheel. Um, and we like to talk about how songs and lyrics, especially within the context of Priest, they're all incredibly open to interpretation. Yeah. So you can see in here, maybe the character, the specter, is an entity unto itself, a person. Maybe it's a corrupt government. Maybe it's something yeah. else. You could yeah. make the case that the leaders of mega powerful corporations can fit the bill into these lyrics. Above the law and reckless, uh, invisible yeah. and silent, conspiring to get power. Yeah. I mean, you can fit those lyrics to Jeff Bezos to uh, a day if uh, you read into it well enough. It's all Machiavellianism, anyway. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's so that, that's a again that's a reoccurring theme that I really enjoy because 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 Holford uh, returns to the idea of the interspecies predator. And the, its various guises, um, even if it's a technological with an electric eye, you know, uh, pan, the, panop, the panopticon, um, and uh, the lack of uh, any kind of uh, empathy. Mm. So, so yeah, it's, it's it's so. And what I also like about that is 
the anticipation because they'll, they'll, they come in quiet. And they give a they give a pre echo of the of the absolutely addictive, scampy, rascalous, playful, mischievous groove that they create with that guitar. Mm. That's right. It's like they're sort of teasing that line for you. It's a tease. It's wonderful. No, you didn't. No, you can't. No, you can't make me. Na 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 na. I love that analogy, Rob. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to anyway. put that back on. Yeah. Like a thief in the night With the blade held tight Trapped inside the mind Of the specter With your mind Okay, so I love, like I said before, mm. I absolutely love the way that Rob's voice kind of echoes out and it sort of seems to repeat and at the end of that second chorus. Yeah, and the, and the, the way he describes the, the pressure from mind control you know, mm. that's and right. mental manipulation. There's something that's existentially horrifying about being trapped in your own mind you know if you feel that you're a prisoner to your own brain basically it's like you can't get out of here man like you're, you're stuck in here like and you're living with this thing whatever it is Actually, you know you, you can't get away from it so tom what do you make of the lyrics in the chorus Especially when it says like, when it says like a thief in the night with the blade held tight. I sort of see in that a sense of nervousness or anxiety. So if you're a thief and obviously I can't relate, I haven't been a thief. I've played video games where I was a thief. Yeah. And I, there's sort of a sense of dread and anxiety in that when you're a thief, you're sneaking around and you're hoping that you won't get caught. And it's saying he's gripping his blade. He's holding it tight. It sort of exemplifies the nervousness in that situation. Well, you're living outside the bounds of what society deems to be acceptable because like in order for a person to be an outlaw, then the society they come from has to define itself in terms of what it stands for. And an outlaw stands against that. And so the idea of like gripping your blade tight is sort of like you're on the fringes and your existence is hanging on by a thread. And there's not a whole lot of security in that sentiment. There's a lot of instability that comes with it. There is a sense of 
death can come at any minute or retribution, whatever that might be. Like as to what the specter is, I don't know. No, priest has always dealt with themes of, you know, anti-authoritarianism and like a vague type of spirituality. So the way I interpret it, I don't know, honestly, I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to have to think about it a little more to figure out because right now there's a lot of different ideas swimming around in my head. Yeah. I mean, I, I catch, I catch exactly what you're saying and would add that when I can, it's a metaphor, um, but it's a useful metaphor. And where I go with that is it's a person who's alive, but he's undead Ooh. Hmm. because he's a specter of himself. Okay. And it's not a, he's not a, he's not a, He's not a warm-blooded individual. He still he still walks the earth. He still he still deals with power and Machiavellian manipulation. He's some sort of high-functioning sociopath or psychopath, but mm. he's not alive. It's like that whole Nazgul thing in Lord of the Rings: neither living nor dead. Yeah, you know, uh, somewhere I mean, in between. Well, yes. it, it, you know, in a metaphysical sense, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, he's just he's just he's chasing. He's just chasing power. I mean, I've, I've been reading and following some of the psychology of classic psychopathy and, uh, and trying to understand it and how Hollywood doesn't, they sensationalize, sensationalize it and, and, they, uh, and they confuse people about what it really is and, uh, because I, I'm really interested in these fringy things. And, and so I, I follow some writers that are psychopaths that are trying to describe the fact that people get their idea of what psychopathy is from mass media and and it's not right and and it's it's not as bad as people think and it's worse than people think in in a strange way for example um, Ted Bundy was probably not a psychopath he was probably a um a malignant uh, narcissist or something like that because he cared about what other people thought he cared about his uh, like if somebody insulted him he would be angry psychopaths don't care Jeffrey Dahmer was probably not a psychopath no. either because he was genuinely remorseful for the things that he did and understood that what he was doing was yeah, wrong. So, and so, but interspecies predators are coming all colors. They don't have to be, in fact, most psychopaths are not criminals because they are more interested in staying out of trouble. Yeah. You know, like, why would they do that? That would be dumb, you know? Yeah. But, but the remorselessness of, of the lyric indicated in the lyrics, um, are, are a flag towards that. And there's just a lot to say about that. Sure. Good interpretation. Mm, I thought so. The specter creeps behind you, shrouded by his stealth, ignore him at your peril.
there is so much to like in the part that we just heard. Oh, yeah, Faulkner's soloing is so good. Richie Faulkner's the man, man. Yeah, Fal- hey, Richie Faulkner's the coolest. The like, part oh- that I love the most is when Halford does that sort of bridge passage. The specter creeps behind you. Mm. He's got this really creepy vibe going on, and he yeah, switches it, up his style. It reminds me a little bit of something like the middle of Nightcrawler. Yeah, obviously would, not quite as intense. Yeah. But in that moment, he's like becoming Rob the storyteller. Yeah, and he's putting on the show, and he's trying to tell this sort of horrific story in a voice that lends gravitas to that. I was gonna bring up the Nightcrawler reference because, like, that definitely gave me the same vibes. Yeah, and and again, he he goes back to the theme of interspecies predators, you know. Mm. And when I read, uh, I thought that at first I thought uh, you know he kills to feed himself, to heal himself was a little clunky because uh, he he trained he kind of goes from a psychopathic personality to vampiric personality but i thought wait a minute what do narcissists do well they kill off people's confidence they they, they drain people of their cognitive uh resources to feed their own narcissistic needs you know so they, that can that can be that can be extracted uh quite nicely into the rest of the theme there's one interesting line that i think plays into what you're saying it's like ignore him at your peril. He kills to heal himself. Right. There's a really interesting idea in there that like you're kind of taking out your anger on the world at like existence itself because of your own rage and resentfulness and just taking it out on whoever your closest victim is. Yeah, I mean that's also it's also a metaphor for a narcissistic source. Mm-hmm. Uh, with narcissists, the, the narcissistic type can't survive without the the attention of others, and they get the attention by basically destroying their lives. Mm. Yeah, I've seen it happen, man. I've seen oh, yeah. narcissists at work. It's like carving a path of destruction that, like, in your in like a rational mind, you can't even comprehend the things they do. Yeah, it's it, it's a type of moral blindness. Um, it's it's in the same spectral. A spectrum of traits as a psychopathy, but but it, it but it includes giving a shit about what people think about you. Yeah, yeah. And the line "ignore him at your peril." Yes, that's so apt for this comparison because a narcissist can't stand not being the center of attention. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Versus versus a psychopath, which couldn't care less. Type of moral blindness. It's fascinating to me. That is very interesting. And you brought up it's a mutation that'll tie back to the very first stanza of the song, mutating day by day. But we don't think in this case that the Spectre is a psychopath. Spectre really sounds more like a narcissist because they seem to have an awareness of what they're doing. They seem to care. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a level of self awareness that comes with this character. So fascinating, isn't it? I love I love how he paints his monsters. You know, I mean, I just mm. I really like that he's not talking about mm. dragons of the deep as the demonic rage comes up from the devil's spit. Everybody, you know, okay, you know, it's, it's much it's a more very humanized monster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
Well, because it's like it's it's something that to one extent or another, most people have dealt with. It's far more relatable because they like most of the monsters in Judas Priest songs are human beings or constructs of human beings. Yeah, or of course they use a spy satellite. Yeah, that, well, that's what I mean. It's like it was yeah. something that was presumably constructed by humans. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's that's going to be a hell of an episode. And and, I've and, got thoughts. And to me, that to me, that's that's lyrical genius because he's broken the mold. You know. Yes. Absolutely. Oh man. Well, I, fuck, I fucking love Judas Priest. Yeah, I can tell. That's why we're here, man. <laughs> I don't like my job. Yeah, this song. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's wonderful. There's so much to say. I hope you. I hope you yeah continue on with the rest of the song, of course. And it's, it and the guitar work. I mean, I'm not a guitarist, but I can just I can just stand back and in awe and, and and just really appreciate it from an artistic perspective. You know, I can't get into the detail. Maybe a guitar player would want to come on and and uh, break down some of that stuff. I, I wouldn't know what to say. About. See, I w- I would love that because I I am like a guitarist, but I learned how to play by ear, so I don't actually understand music at all. I but- love. In terms of the guitar in this song, right after Rob delivers the he kills to heal himself, and then it transitions into that really beautiful Richie Faulkner lead, the almost reminds me a little bit of some Iron Maiden or something like that. I could see the influence, absolutely. Right, let's bring this home. Awesome. What a cool hook. I mean, you know, the, it's it's such a good groove hook, you know, um, guitar. I just, Tony Iommi does not own all the hooks, okay? <laughs> he may own most of them. A that, lot of them, but certainly but not all. That, 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 that It's so contagious, you know, you just want to roll around in it. Sure. Like, every, like you know, I love um, even just the song Black Sabbath. And he's rattling off those diminished fifths. Um, that tritone is such an earworm, dude. Like that gets stuck in your head. That doesn't come out for days. 
And in this instance, I just, I can't help but feel like Richie really was born to play in Priest. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what an astonishing accomplishment that is, you know? Yeah. He fits in so well. He writes like so authentically and convincingly. It doesn't sound like, like, it sounds like Priest. Oh, you know, he, it's hard to explain what that means. Sounds like priest. Yeah. Um, it's it's words fail. Um, yes, it, it captures the spirit and essence of of the of the core of priest would be mm-hmm. closer, but it would still fail. So. Yeah, it's a it's a it's got a certain um, je ne sais quoi, shall we say? <laughs> At least. <laughs> <laughs> You went French on me, damn it. <laughs> That's first time for everything. Yeah, you know. Dinner movie later. Um, yeah, it's it's that's what I wanted to mention. It's got a swagger to it. Ooh, See, the early Absolutely. Early priest had a lot of swagger. Mm. And we talked about Stuff that. Like delivering the goods, right? Yeah, yeah. Or Devil's Child. But yeah, it's got that it's 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 I wrote a bunch of it's scampy. What what, what did I put down? It's rascally, it's petulant. Oh, Contemptuous and it's ardently contemptuous, you know, Ooh. playfully mischievous. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, uh, you know, it's you really want to like dig into the subject matter, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like my job or something. <laughs> Who but, yeah, yeah, it's fun, man. I mean, it it, 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 it's hard to find those. I mean, you can't you can't have a whole album of that shit because who knows where the hell that comes from. He was, I mean, I mean, imagine he was just diddling around and he's tried like a million fucking things and they all fell flat. Oh, look, this one's pretty fucking cool. Sure. Well, like you know, probably for I mean, at least in my experience, for every riff that sounds good, there's like five that are shit. So. Garbage, yeah. Yeah. There's so. Yeah, there's a formula to it. Apparently, apparently the formula is you want to go eight to sixteen um, as a general rule, and you want to have a call and answer. Mm, okay. Whatever that means, like I said this, I this, I said this, I said no, you didn't. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, listen, it works. You know, oh, yeah. I would I wouldn't necessarily call Priest like a review proof band. Like, yeah, well, yeah, Priest takes risks. Yeah, exactly. So I would hardly describe them as like a review-proof band. Yeah, I mean, it, sure. I'm that, that's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't heard of that. I appreciate that. That was really valuable. Um, yeah, it, that, and again, that circles back, at, you know, specializing in, in Halford's voice. That's why I think he's the GOAT. Hell yeah, man. Yes, he and, is. Absolutely. You know, not, not that I, not that Dio is on a, on, not on a superhuman supernatural level and and so maybe up. even your buddy jeff tate i wouldn't call him my buddy <laughs> i'm just getting around <laughs> that's okay but yeah i know him well he's yeah he's they they're they're good at what they do yeah um they've got it down tight but what i again circling back um to i hate saying that that that, that ruined um reflecting on on halford what turned me around after a long absence of appreciation was that in a deep study, I, I just, it, I just came to realize that he's, that he's evolved, that he's, that he's redlined his voice so hard, pushing himself so hard. He's taken so many risks uh, with his, with his expression instead of tightening, 
tightening it down to a to a real tight, smooth, comfortable space. And and I I really appreciate that. You've only got one wife and he's giving it his all yeah. as a certain Judas Priest song references. Yeah. You know, and that that, that and what really honestly going going back to that, what returning because I'm returning to priest after a long I'm returning to metal. I've been playing around with Prague for a long time. That's a different subject. Once it was my job, I started doing an over a flyover of every fucking thing, you know, everything he's ever done, they've ever done. Um, and there's some, there's a lot of new surprises. I had, had, had heard a lot of things, but what I heard live insurrection is live performance on live insurrection, and I heard him do stained class and beyond the realms of death. I got, te- I honestly got tears in my eyes. And I'm a tough guy. I was astonished with the degree of emotional transference that he had done. A combination of his, his vocal performance and also his effects, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I mean, I, I am a huge Dio fan mm-hmm. and a huge Robert Plant fan all the way back. I mean, big time. But, and I've been, I've had a fickle relationship with, with, with Halford. I mean, it's like, ah, you know, what's he doing? But he, to me, and this is entirely personal and doesn't apply to anybody else, but he, he, he blew the top off with that, in my opinion, that, that vocal performance on that album. I agree with you 100%. It's a landmark live album. So much energy in every single song. Oh their, God. their live albums are really something to behold. They've got just a slew of fantastic live albums. I would actually, I would really love to have um, Live Vengeance on as a CD because it's got my absolute favorite rendition of Metal Gods. Rob, we're looking forward to yeah. talking to you again. Much Keep us updated on Sorry. what you're doing and yeah. how the priest. And Halford tribute works for you, and yeah, it goes. you yeah. sound like you've got all the right ideas and the passion for the music. Mm. So I feel pretty confident that you'll find some success there. Yeah, I have I have enjoyed your commentary immensely, and wish you nothing but the best. Excellent. It's been an honor and privilege. I really, really uh, enjoy um, following you guys, and uh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Rob, would you like to plug your pluggables? You can follow Rob and the Hellbent for Metal project on Twitter at Judas underscore AF. Until next time. Until next time. Listeners, listeners, stay locked in. Stay locked in. And keep defending the faith.